Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me to preview the Texans-Browns game is Browns insider Max Loeb, host of the Dog Check podcast with Eric Metcalf, part of the Believe Network. Thanks for giving us a few minutes, Max, and happy holidays to you. Yeah, happy holidays to you, too. Thank you so much for for having me on. I'm pumped to talk about it like we were just talking about beforehand. This is going to be a great game. Super excited to talk about it. Yeah, lots of crossover between these two teams. And before we get to Sunday's game, I got to ask you about the umbilical cord that ties these two franchises together. Of course, Deshaun Watson, how scary and frustrating is it that the Browns are loaded with a Super Bowl quality roster if you maybe had the Deshaun in Houston? It's it's tough to say because I think where the Browns are now, I don't I don't think there's much that separates them from being the Super Bowl caliber roster that you hoped you had gotten for when you traded for Deshaun Watson and what they have now. I honestly we and Eric and I, Browns fans in general, I've been saying this since uh, the first second week of the season. Like you have above average quarterback play this team is a super bowl team you can beat really good teams because you can play good defense you can control the ball you can make enough plays on offense and it's it's tough not having deshaun watson and it's tough seeing the way he played in a lot of the games too because the elephant in the room here is you trade for a guy that you thought was going to be really good and he's been good in small flashes but outside of that not really but you now have a guy like joe flacco stepping in who has provided the best quarterback play Definitely since Deshaun went down with all of the other backups, but honestly, consistently, probably all year, like even better than Deshaun at points. So you have a guy who's stepping in now that you're bringing to a really good defense. You're unlocking some of the playmakers that they have on offense. It's been difficult to not have Deshaun because you could kind of see him getting a little bit more settled in. Like the last game he played against the Ravens, that unbelievable second half you could see him settling in and then all of a sudden he's done for the year so in that aspect it's frustrating I think all of the injuries in general for the Browns are frustrating too but the quarterback play has definitely taken a step up with Flacco and you're slowly starting to realize that you know maybe this team can reach the aspirations they hope for with Deshaun but if you had the Deshaun that was in Houston there would be no debate this would some may even say the best team in the AFC if we had that Deshaun so it's frustrating knowing the ceiling but again, right now, I think the Browns are in a good spot. If you could get into a little bit more detail, what about Flacco have you liked and what have you not liked? What's been the good and the bad so far? The good is the fact that he's not afraid to throw the ball to the playmakers the Browns have. I think throughout the beginning of the year, we kind of saw that Amari Cooper had a lot left in the tank. There are very few DBs in the NFL that could cover a prime Amari Cooper. There aren't too many more that can right now, too. I think Amari Cooper's playing really good football. It's a true number one wide receiver that's kind of flown under the radar because the Browns haven't been a team that's passed a ton. He's never had the overall production to keep up with the the number one receivers of the world. But now that they are passing more, and that's also a product of them not having Nick Chubb, not having three of their starting tackles going into the depth, into the depth, into the depth that their guards like that it's a product of that that they're not running the ball but also the fact that they have Joe Flacco and they have these playmakers on the outside him Najoku Elijah Moore Flacco's unlocked them in the sense that he trusts them and I think the Browns offense as a whole trusts them which again this is very much a credit to Stefanski too they've thrown the ball because they're playing to their strengths like I said you battle injuries along the offensive line you don't have your running back you don't have your quarterback who contributes to the run game as well 
you got to find ways around it. And I think the strength of this Browns offense is the pass game. And Flacco has unlocked that in the sense that he trusts them. He can put the ball in really good spots, but he's also unlocked it just in terms of like a pure volume thing. Like they're passing the ball more. So the the passing production of it is a huge positive. And even as much as they're passing, they're still running the ball effectively, not as much, but effectively, which is good. The negatives though are the turnovers. It seems like not, not only the Browns turn the ball over a lot, it is at the worst times and the worst spot on the field. Like if you saw the Browns 20 to 17 score against the Bears, you would think the Browns defense let up 17 points. Bears had a pick six. Bears had a pick. They returned to the Browns one where they scored a touchdown. So like it's it's bad, bad spots on the field, bad turnovers. Flacco does need to be more careful with the ball. I know Browns fans won't won't want to hear that, but he does need to be more careful with the ball. So you, you take the you take the good with the bad in that sense. And he's about two and one as a, as the Browns starter now. In the past three weeks, they have the second most pass yards in the NFL. So you could take the good with the bad, but <laughs> the, this team would not have the hope that it has right now without Flacco. I can tell you that much. On the other side, Case Keenum's last NFL start before the win this past Sunday was with oh, yeah. the Browns. He spent two seasons in Cleveland. How did he look in those two starts with the Browns? What were your impressions back then? It's tough to say because the Browns were, I don't want to say broken offensively. They weren't broken offensively, but it looked super different because you had Nick Chubb. When he played, you had Odell. You had Jarvis Landry. Like that that was a Browns team that had a a lot of mouths to feed, which part of the reason contributed to the Baker Mayfield leaving and all this stuff, Odell leaving. It's tough to say. Uh, he's a guy that's going to manage a game and, uh, much like Flacco, take the opportunities when needed. It's very much a, a field position, ball control, take care of the football type game with Keenum. It's not to say he can't win a game. And obviously, you saw it last week. That was an enormous win, enormous win against the Titans. So he can take care of the ball. He can win games, but it's tough to compare him to C.J. Stroud, especially seeing what Stroud has done this year, which has been nothing short of remarkable. Okay, so Vegas odds list D'Amico Ryans at number two for coach of the year, barely behind Dan Campbell. Stefanski is number six on the board. There's a great argument for Stefanski. Can you give me his case? And I'm going to come back at you with D'Amico's case. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll give you a blind resume here of an NFL team. You lose your starting quarterback. You lose your starting running back, who's one of the two best in the NFL. You lose your starting left tackle. You lose your starting right tackle. You lose your backup right tackle, who's going to make the all-pro team, or all-rookie team, excuse me, the all-rookie team. You lose your third-down pass rush specialist. You battle injuries in the secondary all year. You have four different quarterbacks start who each win a game, and your team is 9-5. and I I would be hard-pressed to find a coach that's done a better job and has produced more than the coach of that team. That team is the Cleveland Browns. And I think a lot of credit does go to Kevin Stefanski. It's interesting to see where the coach of the year, like odds and everything is now, because there's still three weeks left. Like I find it really hard to believe coach of the year will go to a team that does not make the playoffs, regardless of how good Stefanski's been. If the Browns don't make it, he's not winning. Same thing with Tamiko Ryan. Same thing with a guy like Shane Steichen. I find it so hard to believe it's going to go to a coach who doesn't make the playoffs, but uh, you listen to what the Browns have gone through all the negatives, the qualities of players they've lost to. It's just remarkable that they're sitting in the five seed. And the only reason they're not hosting a playoff game is because the number one team in the conference is two games better than them. All right. Here's the case for D'Amico. And I feel like we both need violins going as we're giving our case. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a lot of that. But before D'Amico arrived in January, it was the second worst team in the NFL. 
and a laughingstock franchise for the last three years. What gets lost in the shuffle nationally, Max, I believe, is the season-ending injuries and musical chairs on our offensive line. They've had five season-ending injuries, five to offensive linemen. Twelve different guys have played, seven, seven different starting units, and the starting right tackle and left guard have not played a snap at those positions this year. It's a top-10 offense with that O-line, a rookie quarterback, and virtually no running game for most of the season. Last year, they had the worst run defense in the NFL. If you combine the last two years, they were the worst in the NFL for two straight years, really. This year, they are number six in run defense. They've also won six one-score games and three on the final drive. You mentioned uh, also the secondary issues. The Texans have had a bunch of those, too. They've had two of their top three safeties are out for the year. Um, of course, you know, Jimmy or two of their top four, I would say maybe, but well, another guy's a starter, but I don't, I don't know if he's better than the two guys that we have that are out for the year. And then Stingley's, you know, been out for a while too, and he's your best cornerback. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like, you know, D'Amico should, should win. I think he should win over Dan Campbell considering, you know, where he came in. But I also feel like Stefanski should be right there. I mean, you're you're yeah. picking nets between those two teams. Mm-hmm. And Shane Steichen doing it as a new coach yeah. with, you know, a backup quarterback himself for the whole year and, and a guy that, you know, has been in and out of starting lineups. But, I mean, we, we know kind of what you get with the Minshew factor. But, yeah, this, I, I feel like it's pretty close. Yeah, it's very close. And I think when you look at what Campbell's done with the Lions, it's obviously super impressive the Browns, the Texans, uh, the Colts, like where they are right now with their roster, they do a lot to have the roster that the Lions have. And what I think the coolest thing about Steichen too is that he leaves Philly and you see how much Philly struggles without him. So like that, I think, is another aspect to that argument. But yeah, I I really do think, at least the way it should be, the best team out of the Browns, Texans, and Colts, you know, everybody has their argument for those coaches probably most deserving because those teams have gone through the ringer with injuries. Those teams were nowhere near where they're at right now last year. Like those are the coaches, in my opinion, who have done the best job this year. What intrigues you the most about this matchup? Is there any part of this game that feels like it's the key from a Browns perspective? I I think there's two things. One is what is taking care of the football. And I know the Texans are fourth in the NFL, I believe in turnover differential. They're definitely top 10. Uh, The Browns are bottom five in turnover differential. The turnover differential, like statistic, one thing it will never take into account, which I've said before, is super important is three and outs. So like the Browns, I believe they lead the league in uh, three and outs. They definitely lead the league in home three and outs. Now they're on the road, which is the second thing, right? You travel to Houston, the Browns have been unbelievable, especially defensively at home. Now you have to travel into a hostile environment on the road. Defense is supposed to travel. It hasn't like, all year virtually it hasn't so how the defense plays against the Texans offense that probably without their starting quarterback is going to be enormous it's that and taking care of the football those are the two keys for the Browns I think offensively like each side is going to make their plays I think it's moderately balanced to be honest with you so it's going to come down to the other side of the ball when the Texans have it and the Browns are playing defense yeah I would say last week the Texans had the best defensive line play they've had all year which is pretty striking considering Will Anderson was out with an injury Offensive line, D'Amico said that was the most valuable player last week, which, you know, mm-hmm. you could argue a bunch of different stuff from that game. So the offensive line was surprisingly good for, for, the, for the Texans. Can they do it 
two weeks in a row, Max. I mean, I think that's the question yeah. we've been asking here. It's going to be tough. He talked about the shuffling of the offensive line. It's it's interesting to look at it from a Browns end because they've really struggled up front the past couple weeks outside of this Bears game. And you think like Miles Garrett, Zadarius Smith, Dalvin Tomlinson, like that, that defensive line is struggling. Yeah, because they can rarely afford to send more than four guys without Denzel Ward. Now, Denzel Ward was back last week. They sent five. They sent six. They have their full blitz package. They're always in the quarterback's lap. You're trusting your, I don't know, two of your four best defensive players in the secondary to go play one-on-one with receivers, and you like that matchup if you're Jim Schwartz. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Browns stick to that plan because if you rush five and six and you get one-on-ones with Garrett, Darius Smith, Jeremiah, Usu Koromoa, like there aren't a ton of players in the league who can block those guys consistently one-on-one. So it's a matter of taking advantage of those opportunities on the Browns end and on the Texans end, just neutralizing those, keeping extra guys in, chipping Miles Garrett, whoever you got to chip when they're rushing. It's going to be interesting to see the the chess match there too. But this is definitely one one of the tougher defensive lines the Texans have played this year. A couple of things worth noting that. One of those just happened just before we started recording. Nico Collins, Texans' number one receiver. He said he's playing this week. The Texans' best safety and a key leader, Jimmy Ward, practiced Thursday after getting concussed on the first drive of the Titans game. That's even more shocking than Nico playing, really, because you figure that he would be out for at least a week. Also, right tackle George Fant practiced the last two days after missing the Titans game. You know, Charlie Heck did a nice job last week, but you know, it would be good to get George Fant back. And Max, the Browns are favored by two and a half points. Is that a surprising spread for you, or does that seem about right? I would say that seems about right given the quarterback situation because it does seem like Stroud is out, at least as of right now, Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Central. Like, it seems like Stroud is out. So I think that is kind of what's pushing in the Browns' direction. But, I again, I think this game is – decided by three or four points like I don't think I think it's gonna be a close game it's gonna be a back and forth battle I think Texans being at home also helps them so it's it's gonna be a, a tight game you guys mentioned on your show I think about the fact the Texans have a difficult time covering tight ends yes uh, yep. that's to me that's a key because Titans really couldn't do anything about that last week you know with Will Levis yeah. and, and who they got yeah. on their roster so you know, that's something to keep an eye on. I'm sure I agree with you on that. Yeah, and I think the the biggest quote-unquote unlocking of the Browns' offense with Flacco has been the production of David Njoku because you don't have to watch a lot of football to look at him run and move on a football field and think not a lot of guys can cover him. But Flacco is consistently just over and over feeding him the football. We haven't seen that at all since Njoku's been on the Browns. Like, past couple of years, quarterback play has just been – all over the place. And even with Baker, like the offense was a little bit sputtered. You had Nick Chubb playing the majority. He had a ton of touches. You had Odell demanding touches. You had Jarvis Landry demanding touches. Like there hasn't been an offensive system that's kind of been centered around Njoku. I don't know if it is now because Amari Cooper is still getting a ton of targets, but he is the number two now. And I think Flacco realizes the advantage he has there. And it's not even like the Jaguars couldn't cover Njoku. The Bears, who have been really good against tight ends all year long, couldn't cover Njoku. Like, he's just a matchup nightmare in that sense as well. If any Browns fans are watching, just so you know, the Texans don't have Blake Cashman this week. He's been injured the last couple of weeks. That's a big deal because he's their best linebacker, their best guy in coverage by leaps and bounds. He's that guy. So that's a big miss for sure. I wanted to ask you, Max, because your co-host is XUT Longhorn Eric Metcalf, and I just got to yeah. say, 
you know, he's somebody, if, if people don't know, he played for the Browns for six of his 13 years in the NFL. For those too young to know, even though he's a running back and wide receiver, his specialty was as a return man, two-time All-Pro, three Pro Bowls. And man, oh man, was he electric. I absolutely loved watching him, the closest in my lifetime in his style to the iconic Gail Sayers, who's one of yeah. my all-time favorites. Go watch his old YouTube highlights. It's amazing. I'm old, but I only know Sayers from watching old film, I should say. <laughs> but uh, Max, has Matt, Metcalf, has he shared any great stories from his days playing in the league? Yeah, I honestly think it's just the the camaraderie he's built with a lot of the people he has relationships with now. Like, uh, I, don't, I don't think he never played with Josh Cribbs, but I know him and Josh Cribbs have a good relationship. Uh, him and Bernie Kosar, who was just a guest on the show about a month and a half ago, maybe really good relationship. Like he still talks really highly of the people in the building in the Cleveland Browns. And I think that honestly speaks to the the family that the Cleveland Browns are and just Cleveland sports in general. It's it's for lack of a better term, like a, a group united by trauma. Like you, you have a really bad football team for a really long time. Basketball team ups and downs. LeBron leaves. They come back. He wins. He leaves again. Baseball team hasn't really been good a ton. Like this is a, a city united by poor sports and you know, it's a family. Everybody's all in this together. And like we talked about earlier, like I, I'm not even from Cleveland and I, I have been welcomed into the embrace of of the Cleveland fandom the past five years. It's a super, super cool area, and it's a super, super cool fan base. And from what I talk about with Eric and what I've learned from Eric is that it has spanned for 30-plus years. It doesn't change as time goes on. So I honestly think that's been the coolest thing. He's, you know, there's some some cool on-field stories and some cool like physical play stories that he's told. And it's interesting to hear. And as somebody who didn't grow up watching Eric Metcalf, it's, it's really cool to look back and see the production of somebody else and, you know, draw comparisons to certain players you see in the league now. But the biggest things I've learned are totally, totally off the field with the, the family and the relationships that he's built and Cleveland Browns nation, for lack of a better term, has built as well. Yeah, and I really always related to Cleveland because they had gone through all of the heartbreak that Houston has. Uh, Believe Land, I'm sure everybody saw that documentary (laughs) on 30 for 30, which kind of connected the dots. And I grew up, I remember vividly, I was watching when John Elway had the drive and Ernest Biner, the fumble, I was watching those games. And the Cleveland Browns franchise and, and the Houston franchise, the Oilers and the Texans and for some reason, nationally, they never put this together, Max, but the Oilers and the Texans have never been to a Super Bowl, just like Cleveland has never been to the Super Bowl, and Detroit has never been to a Super Bowl. Yep. And there's not many franchises that you can say that have been around as long as all of those franchises have, and Cleveland and Houston both had that sort of hiatus of, of their franchises for a while, but yep. had that and, and, and didn't have the Super Bowl. So, you know, I just think um, there's a lot of, you know, definitely connections between Cleveland and Houston. Of course, the, the Cavs finally won a championship uh, in the last few years. And and right after that, the the Astros finally won their first championship. So there was that connection as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and they talked about the Super Bowl drought. Hopefully that changes soon for at least one of our teams. Yeah, I'd be fantastic. <laughs> um, remind us about your show and how people can connect with you on social media. If you're watching on YouTube, obviously you see – his uh, yeah. X handle up there, but uh, remind everybody listening on audio as well. 
Yeah, for me, my handle on X, Instagram, TikTok is that same handle, L-O-E-B-S-L-E-A-D-S. The dog check you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And if you go to any of our social medias, we're also on X at dog check pod. Instagram, I believe, is the same dog check pod. But you can just search the dog check podcast. Same on TikTok. We have a link tree with all the links to our other social medias, our podcasts, any other important information there, too. So you find us on one of our social medias, you can get the link to everything else that you need. But we're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as a couple other platforms. But those are the two big ones. Hey, man, thanks so much for giving us a little time and really appreciate you coming on the show, Max. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Robert. I I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to Sunday. It's going to be awesome. Absolutely. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.